Well, that moment that some, some of us have all been waiting for, the kids go to the nursery. It's a joy to be here um, to preach again God's Word to you, and it's a very special weekend for us um, as we've watched another child uh, graduate from high school. And um, so forgive me for having that on my brain and it being a, uh, a providential application for our passage today. Um, I, didn't, I didn't design this, the Lord did. Um, but I want you to think back for when you graduated, all right, or when you transitioned from high school to that, as Stu said, that adulthood, that independence. Um, it's a lot of pressure. You're, you're thinking about the, this next phase of life, and you're trying to figure out who you are and, and uh, what, what, what's going to happen vocationally and relationally and all these different uh, emotional and, and uh, a life-altering moments are about to happen as they have just, you've just passed from one phase to another. And um, it's my joy to, to, to draw us to that moment, even as adults, and be reminded of our mission with the gospel. Because we get so caught up in life that we forget that we are here on this earth for a purpose. And Paul's passage to us today, as he deals with Christian liberty, will herald the focus that in everything we do, we do it for the sake of the gospel. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 9.23, I do all things for the sake of the gospel so that I may become a fellow partaker of it. And so as we think about seniors, as we think about adults, am I Isaiah 40, 29. No, that's not me. As we think about adult, adulthood, as we think about our parental decisions, as we think about all these things that we have to think of, we can admit that we get lost in the weeds. We get lost in what has God put me on this earth to do. And for our seniors, as they look forward to this new independence, they can fall into the trap of believing that independence is full independence. But if you're a follower of Christ, it's really not truly independence. You have freedom from where you live, and you have freedom from the responsibility and provision of your parents. But as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are under the rule and reign of, of your Lord and Savior. And therefore, your independence is not really what it seems. Your decisions should be focused on your relationship to Christ. Paul says it another way in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whether then you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. So the question then we must be thinking about as adults, as seniors moving to this next phase, are we strategic in our lives of making plans for the sake of the gospel? In the way that we live, in the things that we do in this world, our lives on this earth are created for the purpose of glorifying God and we can best glorify God when we give him glory through the work of his only son and proclaim the work of redemption that he accomplished for sinners. How might you seniors accomplish this 
responsibility of making God known, bringing him glory through making his son known in this next phase? Will it be at your workplace? Will it be on your college campus? Will you be strategic disciple makers as you go out from this place? This is Paul's point in discussing Christian liberty. His whole point in discussing this idea for us today of focusing our mind and our life on strategically making God glory, making, uh, glorifying God through making his son known, his whole point is, is to discuss and show his freedom and his compulsion or his obligation to preach the gospel above everything else in his life. And we can be challenged in the same way to not be distracted by worldly things and be in the same type of obligation, understand the responsibility that above everything else, if we are truly saved by the blood of the Lamb, then we too will take up the mantle of doing everything for the sake of the gospel. And folks, that is life-altering decisions for us. It, it changes the way we go into work. It changes the way we live in our neighborhood. It changes the way that we organize and spend our money. All for the sake of the glory of God and for the sake of the gospel. And so this is what Paul's message will be to us today. As he defends his rights as an apostle, he will tell us, as we learned last week, that he is qualified to be an apostle. You'll remember he said that he had rights to be paid by the church as an apostle, but yet he will, he will refuse those rights because he wants to make sure that everyone understands that above everything else, he will proclaim the gospel or die. He will refuse the right to financial gifts because in this, he, he sees a distraction to that for gospel ministry in his context. And therefore, he will challenge the church to see a similar gospel ministry that the Lord has called us all to and how we might consider that life that God has called us to to set us apart to serve him in gospel ministry in some way. We're not all going to be Apostle Pauls in the sense that we're apostles, but we are all sent ones to glorify God and make him known. So today we're going to look at a few components of having a life that is focused and centered on gospel living and gospel proclamation. We're going to look at a few verses today, starting in verse 15. Paul talks about our boasting in the gospel. Paul writes, but I have used none of these things. And I'm not writing these things so that it will be done so in my case, for it would be better for me to die than to have any man make my boast an empty one. This is where Paul denies or refuses the financial rights that he has as a, a leader of the church. He says, I've used none of these rights, and I'm not writing to you to plan for those rights to be done to me, those financial gifts to come my way. He goes, I'm not doing that for this. Why? Because I would rather die than have anyone make my boast an empty one. 
My boast is a very beautiful phrase that Paul uses. He'll use it twice here. He'll use it in the negative and he'll use it in the positive. Most of the time throughout the Bible, we will read the boasting of something is a sinful thing. We're bragging. We're, we're, we're making something of ourselves. It's, a, it's the opposite of humility. But Paul is saying that in this sense, the gospel is his boast. It's his pride. It's his focus of glorifying God. Sometimes you hear with Christian lingo that, that the Lord is, is my glory. You could say it another way, the Lord is my boast. I am boasting in the Lord. I am finding my confidence and my hope in Him. And therefore, boasting in the positive in the Lord is a good thing. So we might say that our boasting in Christ is an internal and external glorifying of the work of Christ. Paul uses a word very similarly in Galatians chapter 6. But may it never be that I would boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. So our boasting is in Christ. Our internal boasting and our external boasting. And internal boasting is a, is a confidence in, in who we are in Christ, our identity. And you all understand how important it is for us to uh, proclaim our identity in Christ as the confidence that we have. For our seniors now moving into a world that says, find your identity in all these other things that will give you some value temporarily, we say in the church, no ma'am. Our identity is in Christ because without him we are nothing. We have no boast except in the Lord. We have accomplished nothing outside of his grace and his mercy. This is how Paul uses this in the positive and the negative in verse 15. I've used none of these things. I'm not writing these things so it will be done to me in my case. For it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. That's the positive. For, verse 16. For if I preach the gospel... If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. Because the gospel reminds Paul that we are nothing, we are useless, we are completely unable without the, the power of God to draw us out of darkness into marvelous light. So we have nothing to boast of except the work of Christ. But with that message, that transformative message of Christ on the cross, the formative uh, and, and, and transformative message of, of, of a sinner being redeemed and forgiven and transformed, it changes who we are so that our identity internally is no longer about who we were, but who we are in Christ. But our boasting is, boasting is also external. An external glorifying of the work of Christ on the cross. Proclaiming and de declaring and teaching the truth of the gospel to those around us. It's a boasting, right? This weekend, 
with these amazing accolades that my, my daughter uh, accomplished in her, uh, her years of schooling, and because she was homeschooled, the accolades that my wife participated in, this is a, a, a situation to brag about. You have parental pride. You have parental joy in these accomplishments. Humbly, of course, knowing that it was only by God's grace that we accomplished them. But do you want to brag on those moments, on your children, on, on their hard effort, on the ways that which God has used them and blessed them and will continue to use them? But they're temporary boasting. Those things are fine and great, but in the end, we have to think about our ultimate purpose in the world, which is not to be parents. Our ultimate purpose and goal in the world is not to be great employees. It's to be ambassadors for Christ, to declare in glory externally the goodness of the gospel, the need of the gospel, the only hope that we have in Christ alone. And this is Paul's passion he speaks in very clear and distinct terms that he would rather die than to have the, the boast of the gospel of Jesus Christ made void or empty. Now, when we understand that boasting that Paul is speaking about, the boasting in Christ, where he states that he would rather die, what we understand that to mean is that our boasting in Christ will require sacrifice. When Paul says, I would rather die, what he's saying in a very, um, with, with hyperbole, that he would rather refuse any financial support in order to that not be a distraction to the gospel. If, if that causes him to die, then that's fine. If he grows hungry, if he, if he has no provision, all of those things are worth it as long as he can proclaim the gospel and not allow anything in his life to be a distraction to the gospel message. If he dies, he dies. And of course, this is a challenge for us because our boasting in Christ does require self-sacrifice when we're planning out our futures, are we really asking the Lord what he wants for us? Because he may want you to travel to a foreign country and sacrifice much to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Maybe putting college on hold. Maybe putting a stamp or a, a delay or a pause on the American dream of, of success and, and all those things. Maybe the Lord calls you to do that first. And you're faced with this challenge. Well, culture tells me I have to follow these steps to do what, the, what, what, what deems me as worthy in the culture. But, but the Bible says that I need to go proclaim the gospel. And I have a passion to proclaim the gospel in the Ukraine or, or somewhere else. And, and so I'm really torn. And parents, we get torn, right? We get torn when... Our kid comes to us and wants to serve on a foreign mission trip for six months or 12 months in a, in a country that doesn't seem as safe as it is in America. And although the money's been pr prepared and, and, and taken care of and, and, the, and the passion and the desire's there, we're like, wait a minute. What about college? What about all these things? What about safety and security? 
And all of a sudden now we as parents are struggling with the reality that the mission of the gospel may lead our children way beyond the walls of any secure university that they may be going to so that they can proclaim the gospel. And we have to be careful. Boasting in Christ, declaring the gospel requires sacrifice. Paul reminds us in 2 Corinthians 11 that throughout his ministry... He received torturous, unheard of suffering and sacrifice so that he might be faithful to the calling of the gospel. Be reminded, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, five times he says, I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers and dangers from my countrymen, dangers from the Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, danger from false brothers. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. Now, some people say, whoa, but Paul was special. He was an apostle. He was called by God to serve the church in a very special way. Yes, he was called an apostle, uh, to be an apostle, and you were not. Yes, he was called to preach and shepherd the church, and most of you will not. But the majority of Paul's mission is no different than the rest of us as believers. We are all called to declare the gospel. We are all called to declare the gospel even if it remains or or requires sacrifice for us. Sacrificing of our comforts. Sacrificing of uncomfortable situations. And Paul is willing to do whatever it takes to make sure the gospel goes forth even if it requires great sacrifice. We must forego earthly pleasures, church, earthly comforts and confidences. We must let go of our dreams if they interfere with the purpose that Jesus Christ has saved us for. Paul is not a super Christian. He's a faithful follower of Christ who is faithful to the plan the Lord had for him. Also, our boasting in Christ can be tainted. Paul says that he is concerned and he is avoiding the fact that the message of the gospel would be made empty. He says, it would be better for me to die than have any man make my boast an empty one. Some translations say that it would make it vain or useless. And what that word means is basically to take something and devalue it or ruin ruin the designed purpose that it was created for. Paul says that the gospel and the purpose of the gospel going forth was his goal, his, his calling from the Lord. And he was afraid that if he received financial support then people would then begin to criticize his work and say, oh, well, you're just a paid-by-sermon preacher. And therefore, they would say, oh, you're just doing it for the money. And Paul said, I would rather work as a tent maker and completely uh, support myself than have anything devalue the message of the gospel. Now, 
you don't ever take away the power of the gospel, but you can take away the witness as you try to declare it. So our boasting in Christ can be tainted only when the messenger is tainted, not the message. You follow me? Listen, the Lord can speak through a donkey in the Old Testament the power of God and it can have great effect. So he can use anybody. An atheist can stand on a street corner and argue passages from the Bible and the Lord can use the power of the word of God from the mouth of an atheist and still draw people to himself. It's not the the message. The message cannot be devalued. The message can be changed. You can change the message. Matter of fact, that's the most common way the message is devalued when we try to alter it or change it. And this is the temptation of our world today. Oh, well, the world is is too offended by the gospel. So we need to change it a little bit. We need to just water it down. We need to alter it so that the masses... See, we think this is some strategy for evangelism. Oh, well, we'll reach more people if we make it more palatable. If we just, you know... If we just open the doors a little wider for people to understand, then they'll believe. No, sir. No, ma'am. That's not how it works. They only believe as the Lord calls them. So he designed the message. The message doesn't have to change. And therefore, those who receive it will only receive it because he is drawing them to himself. The Lord doesn't need you to change the message for them to receive it. But we feel that we have to. Paul tells Timothy, guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that's been entrusted to us. I love that. Your most valuable possessions, you protect. Your most valuable treasures, you go to great lengths to make sure that they are secure. And Paul is telling Timothy, the greatest treasure that you have is the gospel message. Guard it. Protect it. Don't allow the the, the messenger to be tainted. It's a treasure. Do not try to devalue it or, or, or cover it up. Allow it to do its intended purposes with the power that it possesses. But not only can we try to change the message, but we ourselves as the messenger can devalue our Christian witness. If we're trying to live in sin and reflect the world, then we ourselves are devalued as Christian witnesses. The power is still there in the message, but oftentimes we are not living as someone who's been changed by that message. Paul tell, or Peter tells us, he urges the church to live as aliens and strangers by abstaining from fleshly lusts which war against our soul. To keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. Why? So that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds... As they observe them, glorify God in the day of visitation. This is the greatest challenge for us as believers to live a life that is worthy of reflecting the gospel that we believe in. 
Paul is wanting to not devalue the message by receiving uh, support and people criticize him. But in the same way, the way in which we live our life could be an obstacle to the very message we're proclaiming. We could be seen as hypocrites. We could be seen as whitewashed tombs as the Pharisees were in Jesus' day. Speaking with our mouth, one thing, but living completely different. God calls us to be people who do not devalue our Christian witness, but live in such a way that we glorify God. I think of it this way. The U.S. military, they travel across the world, and every uniform of every soldier has a flag on it representing the United States of America. That flag stands for freedom against tyranny and oppression. It stands for courage in the face of evil. And those soldiers who wear that uniform must maintain a demeanor of honor and respect as they represent the country, their country, on foreign soil. Paul understood this. That's why he calls us ambassadors for Christ. We are representing as foreigners on foreign soil a kingdom to which we belong to. And so finally, our boasting in Christ is our responsibility. We understand our boasting in Christ will require sacrifice. We understand our boasting in Christ is an internal and external glorifying of the work of Christ. We understand it, that it can be tainted. And finally, we understand that our boasting in Christ is our responsibility. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, For if I preach the gospel, I have no, nothing to boast of, for I am under compulsion. For woe is me if I do not preach the gospel, for if I do this voluntarily, I have a reward, but if, I, but if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Paul's message here is simply speaking to our obligation to glorify and boast of Christ in this world. He says, if I do it voluntarily, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. Paul looked at preaching the gospel as preach or die. So he's not thinking that he's doing it voluntarily. He's doing it under the obligation of a servant or slave to Christ, which we all are. We are doing or living this life with a stewardship, as Paul says, entrusted to us. Now, we know the Bible talks about a stewardship. Stewards were men that were given responsibility over households, over the affairs of their master, over the homes, even the children of wealthy people. Stewards are mentioned throughout the Bible as these trusted officials who cared for the most valuable assets and the people of a wealthy home. Joseph in the Old Testament was a well-known steward who was placed over the affairs of Potiphar's house. You could even make the case and say that Joseph ultimately was a steward over Pharaoh's house. Being entrusted with something of such great value and importance, something we don't even understand in this culture, 
Maybe some of you were raised as, uh, with a nanny. I had a nanny growing up. She came to our house every day. She cleaned. She took care of us. She loved us. She disciplined us. I used to get more whoopings from my nanny than I did my parents. And it was a lot of them. But she was entrusted as a steward over our home. And Paul says, listen, being a, a, someone who declares the gospel is being someone who has been given this stewardship that's entrusted to us, the valuable treasure of the gospel. We are obligated then to be this great instrument for the Lord as Paul was. You'll remember in Acts chapter 9, the Lord told Ananias to, to, to understand that Paul was, as he says, quote, a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the sons of Israel. That was Paul's purpose. That was Paul's mission. And although that distinct mission was of Paul's, the overall mission of all believers is the same. To go and be the herald to boast in Christ both privately, inwardly, and outwardly, making him known throughout this world. And it's our obligation because the, Jesus Christ is our Lord, and therefore we submit to him. And in, in being changed and transformed by Christ's work upon the cross, we now take the responsibility and the obligation, as the disciples did, to be my witnesses. And so for us to accept this stewardship and to fill, fulfill and be faithful to this stewardship, we must understand that the gospel is not some treasure to put away and hide. It's not some technology that will aid society for a while only to become obsolete. The gospel message is a message of hope that brings to this world what it really needs, not reform, transformation. Transformation that comes not from outside, but from inside. An inward spiritual change that can only come through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This message of hope that brings spiritual change has been transferred from Jesus to his followers to now carry across the world. And now it is on our responsibility and our obligation to fulfill such a calling. Paul says that he had this calling to preach the gospel. And notice secondly what he says. If he doesn't preach the gospel, he says, woe is me. One of the most powerful statements in the Bible if you read and you word search in the New Testament, how many times the words woe is me is used in reference to a curse upon those in the Gospels that went against the kingdom of God. The, Jesus would preach woes against the Pharisees and the religious leaders preach woes against those who, who opposed and were contrary to the work of the kingdom of God. This is a curse. 
It's as if to say, what you are doing deserves the very curse and judgment of God. And Paul says, I myself deserve the curse of God if I do not fulfill the calling that he has placed upon me to declare the gospel. And folks, that must drive us to not go, man, Paul was such a spiritual person. That must drive us to a similar conviction that may God curse us if we are not faithful to declare and boast in Christ in this world. As we contemplate our lives as followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to make disciples of all nations. We are called to go and be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the other parts of the earth. If, if those words were only to those disciples, then we've gotten the Bible completely wrong. Those words were to all followers of Christ. And therefore, we must make our boast in Christ to be faithful to do so as slaves of the Lord Jesus who saved us by his own blood. We can't fear what man may think of us. We, make, we must organize and fashion our lives so that strategically we must do whatever it takes to declare the gospel in a daily walk of life. That's why in Matthew 28, 19, and 20, you'll hear many preachers and translators even say, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. But really, the, the literal and better translation is, as you are going, make disciples. That's the better translation. As you are going, make disciples. The verb in that is make disciples. As you are going, as you are living, as you are traveling, in their day, as you are being persecuted, go and make disciples. How does one make a disciple? They have to declare the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, and he makes disciples of them. You declare the gospel of Jesus Christ, he transforms their heart and life. You continue to spend time with them, helping them learn. You want to know what it means to make a disciple? Look at what the disciples did in Acts chapter 9 to the Apostle Paul. He came to know Christ radically, truthfully, genuinely. And what did they do? They spent time helping them understand the truths of God's word. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Church, seniors, this is our greatest goal in life. This is our calling. We are, if we are disciples of Jesus Christ, then we should be his ambassadors. Being an ambassador of Christ is a calling from day one of our transformation. So how are we going to accomplish this goal? I hope and pray that you would strategically live your life in such a way that you are consistently heralding and representing a transformed life in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. Tell people of their sin. Talk to them about their need for Christ as the only way of salvation. Tell them of his love and forgiveness that was displayed and accomplished in the death and resurrection of Jesus. 
tell them that he will come again and that our time on this earth is but a vapor and a mist and that today is the day of salvation. Tell them these things and trust faithfully that as you declare and boast in Christ, he will bring about great results in his sovereignty and plan. Let's pray.